1: In today's message, Elder Buddy Abernathy continues his study in the book of Revelation. You may recall from the last couple of messages that he is now dealing with a letter to the church at Laodicea, found in the third chapter of Revelation. In today's message, he continues looking at the problems that were in that church and gives us solutions that we need to keep in mind as we examine our lives to prevent us from becoming lukewarm like the Laodicean church. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
2: Oh,
0: to you tonight from the book of Revelation and begin in chapter 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, last time we looked at verses 14 through 16, which Develop the thought of being lukewarm so i just want to briefly restate some things we said about that because verse 17 is further describing what it means to be lukewarm now to be lukewarm can be defined or illustrated in many different ways One thought that I had about it this evening was lukewarm can mean room temperature. If you make a cup of coffee and set it out on the table and forget about it and you come back a few minutes, it's gonna be getting closer to room temperature. If you pour a cold, if you pour cold water into a glass and you wait long enough that water will be room temperature. That means that it has been totally influenced by its environment to the point that it has taken on the characteristics of the environment. And I'm sure you're already thinking about the spiritual implications of that. As Paul said in Romans 12, be not conformed that is to take on the image of or the resemblance of this world. So the word lukewarm carries that idea. Uh, Some of the synonyms you could think of would be uh, dull, sluggish, or indifferent. So as we think about lukewarm Christians, we're talking about people that profess to be Christians, people that are members of the church, maybe they even attend church regularly, but they don't live in a way that is becoming to a Christian. A Christian is a follower of Christ, and whenever I hear someone say, well, I know I'm living this particular lifestyle, but I'm a Christian, I always think this. A Christian is a follower of Christ. The only place I can find the teachings of Christ are in the Bible. So if I do what he says, I'm a Christian. If I don't, I'm not a Christian. That's about as simple as you can make it, isn't it? So if Jesus says something and you don't do what he says, that's at least one area of your life in which you're not being a Christian. But the problem with this church and this can certainly be a problem with the church today is they had become just like the world. What a shame it would be if I observed your conduct or you observed my conduct during the week and you concluded, well brother Buddy's no different than the people out there that aren't even interested in the church. That would completely extinguish the witness of Zion Church. That is, no one would be attracted to it except it be for other reasons. You know, many churches in the religious world have been operating under the mistaken idea that if we'll add worldly things and entertainments, that'll attract people to the church, and it will. It'll attract worldly people to the church And they will remain worldly in that worldly church. So to be be lukewarm, and this is why Jesus uses such hard language that I will spew thee out of my mouth, is a church that is of no value, of no purpose, of no benefit, a church that has totally missed its calling. And the only way a church can be that way is if members of the church are that way. Now there is no perfect church, but here was a church that evidently this was descriptive of practically, if not every member of the church. All of us struggle with worldliness, but I don't believe there's a member here, I hope there's not, that has become just like the world. Now, as we continue with verse 17 tonight, here's another picture of this lukewarm church, and this is going to hit close to home. He says, Because thou sayest, here Jesus is essentially saying, Here's what I mean when I say you're lukewarm. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Boy, that fits America, doesn't it? You say, well, brother buddy, I'm not rich. All of us are rich in America. Almost everyone. I realize there are people that are truly desperate, that can't provide their basic needs. But in a general sense, America is blessed far beyond many other countries. So all of us here tonight could put ourselves in this category. We are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. I'm 59 years old, and I guess you could use math to figure out 59 years times 365 days a year times three meals a day, and just uh, think how big that number would be, and there's not been one time where I was concerned if I was gonna miss the next meal because food wasn't available. There hasn't been one time, and I know you can relate to this, there hasn't been one time that I didn't have fresh water available to drink, that I didn't have all the basic necessities and many luxuries that are not needed. Now, if you're living in a culture like that, it is very easy to take on the image of that culture in terms of being rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. I have good health. You know, especially when you're young, generally speaking, you say, I have good health, I feel good, I'm independent, things are going well, I've got a good job, getting my education. Think of all the things in your life that make your life easy in a physical, material sense. It's hard to remain zealous in the kingdom of God with all those Comforts and luxuries and advantages and living in an environment where you're generally never persecuted for the sake of God's kingdom. Thou sayest that you're rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not. Now, ignorance is a bad problem to have. You know, it's one thing to know something and deliberately ignore what you know is right, and that'll get you in big trouble with the Lord when you do that. But it's also a big problem when you don't even realize what your problem is. You know, as ministers, uh, all ministers that have been ordained for any significant period of time, will counsel people where they see that the problem, for, for example, in their marriage, they, they see that one spouse doesn't realize or recognize what the issue really is with the other one. They, they don't have good communication, and the pastor t- comes in, and hopefully he can point out, well, here's the problem, here's what you don't understand about uh, your husband or wife, and here's what you can do to correct it. And a lot of times that can be the problem, can it? We just don't know what the problem is. He says, You don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, wretched's a word that most of us understand. Amazing grace, the lyric says. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Paul said in Romans 7, 24, that, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know you're wretched, that means you have lost the realization or you're no longer sensitive to the fact that you're a sinner who is hopeless apart from the Lord. You see, that's one of the most important things. As long as you have that understanding of yourself, that's going to provoke you to have zeal. As long as you realize how much you need the Lord and how helpless you are without Him, that in and of itself is something that will really encourage zeal because you recognize how much you need the Lord. He says you're wretched and miserable. Miserable means you're to be pitied. You're in such an ignorant state. You're you're wretched, yet you're living your life with pride just like the world. What, What a state that is to be pitied. Now the world doesn't pity that. That doesn't cross their mind. But to the Lord and to those that see his truth, realize that you're going down a dangerous path when you live life with such self-confidence. And you know back in the 70s and especially the 80s is when they begin promoting and you begin to hear this word self-esteem, self-worth, self-this, self-that. When you begin a word with self, you've already messed up. You know, I remember when they began saying, well, the problem with children today is they don't have enough self-esteem. And so you never need to use the rod of correction because if they did have self-esteem, that'll just mess it up. Well, see, the problem is they already have too much self-esteem. They think they're so important they don't have to listen to you. And the Bible just uses different words for it. It says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's self-esteem. I'm going to do what I want to do. So they're to be pitied in this lukewarm church because they've lost realization or they've so numbed themselves to spiritual things that they don't have that zeal they had when they saw themselves as a sinner and they heard the gospel and they were baptized and they found peace in the Lord. Probably all of us can look back and say, Well, I've lost some of that fervor that I had when I saw myself as a sinner. He says, you don't know, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now in verse 18, he's going to give us some enlightenment on those last three adjectives when he says you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Now the first one he addresses is being poor. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich now before we continue one thing about the book of revelation as ministers may have different interpretations but what i've always said is that as long as our various interpretations do not compromise sound doctrine then that's okay I don't expect any minister to make the exact same application of a book that is so full of symbolism and word pictures. But I hope there's not anything I preach tonight or any time from this book that would contradict basic fundamental sound doctrine as identified in our articles of faith which Brother Chris has been preaching to us. So with that in mind, what does he mean when he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire? Well, I know one thing I think about that's likened unto gold is the inspired word of God. See, gold is purified. There's nothing about it that's tarnished. No corruption in it. There's an attack today to emphasize what some would say is the corruption in the Bible, but look at Psalm 12, verse uh, Psalm 12, verse six and seven. And Brother Chris has referenced this when he was preaching about that we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Now just a little side point. The reason our articles of faith don't also say that for English-speaking people, we believe that the King James translation is a pure translation that is, as opposed to a corrupt translation, we believe the King James is a pure translation of God's Word. The reason that's not in our articles of faith is because when this church was constituted in 1847, everybody had a King James translation. Now, a lot of these others were published around the beginning of the 20th century, but I remember as a child, you young people here today can't relate to this, but I remember when I was a child, everybody had a King James Bible. It's no longer number one in sales. It's usually around third or fourth. And the one that's number one, the two it fluctuates between, both have corruption that Brother Chris and I could easily point out to you. I won't charge anything for that. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The word seven in the Bible means completion. That is, these words, which he likens unto gold, have been totally purified. Furthermore, not only are they pure words, but he says in verse 7, thou shalt keep them O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So when Jesus counsels the church of the Laodiceans to buy gold keep in mind that this is a church that has become completely like the world, and just think of the value that God's word could bring to their life. You know, oftentimes as a minister, I'm with someone, for the most part, someone that's not part of the church, that's not interested in spiritual things, and I can see either problems with their children or problems in their marriage, and, I could, I can, and sometimes this uh, gets in the church, and we need to guard against that. But there's oftentimes I can look and say, well, if they knew what the Word of God said about that, they wouldn't have this problem. Amen.
1: Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message.